Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, October 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Alberto Fernandez defeats Mauricio Macri to become the next president of Argentina. Lloyd's Banking Group failed to pass on the wills of thousands of deceased customers. And on Sunday, Donald Trump revealed that U.S. Special Forces killed the leader of ISIS. Plus, the FT San Francisco correspondent Patrick McGee explains how Uber is trying to become the first super app in the Western world. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. After a short hiatus, Argentina's populist Peronist Party is back in power. With 88% of the ballots counted, former cabinet chief Alberto Fernandez took nearly 48% of the vote during yesterday's Argentine elections, defeating current president Mauricio Macri. Mr. Macri, who received nearly 41% of the vote, conceded last night in Argentina. Mr. Fernandez sealed his position as a frontrunner after winning August primary elections, running as the top pick to ex-president Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner's vice president. The Peronist government has ruled Argentina for all but six of the last 30 years. The new government will inherit an economy on the brink of its ninth debt default, in recession, and with inflation at 55 percent. Lloyd's Banking Group has discovered thousands of wills that hadn't been properly handled. Internal documents reviewed by the FT show that the bank found 9,000 wills of deceased customers that had never been returned to their families. Lloyd said the estates weren't affected in the majority of cases because wills and storage had either been superseded or another copy had been stored in another location. But in some cases, Lloyd's distributed the assets from these wills to the wrong people. These wills had been stored as part of a, quote, safe custody service. The service was closed to new customers in 2011. The mistakes aren't expected to have a material financial impact on Lloyd's, which is the UK's largest retail bank. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. That was U.S. President Donald Trump from the White House on Sunday morning. On Saturday night, U.S. Special Forces killed Baghdadi, the leader of the militant group ISIS, during a raid in northwestern Syria. Mr. Trump said the operations had been weeks in the planning, and he said Baghdadi was killed after trying to flee U.S. forces in a tunnel where he detonated a suicide vest. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. And while analysts say Baghdadi's death was without a doubt a symbolic blow for ISIS, there are still anywhere between 14,000 and 30,000 ISIS fighters, facilitators, and supporters spread across Iraq and Syria. That's according to U.S. military estimates. Counterterrorist experts say there is no obvious successor to Baghdadi within ISIS. This could be both a weakness within the group and a driver of volatility in the region. And here's a story you should know more about. In China, apps like WeChat and Alipay have created a space where users can get messaging, social media, shopping and delivery, as well as gaming, all in one place. Uber has built its reputation on being a ride-hailing app, but now it's working to be a super app, much like WeChat and Alipay. The FT's Patrick McGee explains why Uber is pushing for this and whether or not the company can actually achieve its goal. 
basically the goal of the super app is to sort of draw your attention a few times a day for something that might be low margin but frequent and then sort of take that attention and find some other way to profit from it. So maybe when you hail a ride from Uber and you're looking at the app in the car, it's telling you about groceries that you could have deliver or food that might be ready and waiting for you when you get home. Like Uber Eats or something like that. Yes. So Uber's already shown its ambition with Uber Eats and the recent purchase of Corner Shop, which is groceries. My piece was largely about how the app Gojek or Grab, both of them are in Southeast Asia, have really evolved from ride hailing into much, much larger areas. And it's just really clear that if you want to understand where Uber is going to be in a few years, turn your attention to Southeast Asia where it's already happening. And what, why exactly are they trying to do this? Is this something that they think will cause more people to join the app? I think Uber is under great pressure to show it has some sort of path to profitability. If you recall, last quarter, they lost a whopping $5.2 billion. And while much of that was related to costs associated with their IPO, things have actually gotten a little bit worse since, which is that in California, um, California has passed legislation that's going to make it very difficult for Uber to treat its drivers as contractors. They're instead probably going to have to treat them as employees. And what that means is that essentially an already unprofitable model is being challenged. And so the question is, well, what can Uber do to find a profit elsewhere? And I think the super app potential is probably quite large. So just think the position that Uber's in. They have about 3 million drivers. They have 100 million people on their app. Most of those people have already given them their credit card information. Right. And so they're sort of in this place where, you know, how can these people purchase more things through our app? And how can we connect them and sort of find synergies with all the transportation expertise we have? And then what I find most interesting is actually, how can we service our 3 million drivers with various things? So when we're thinking of super apps, I think you're generally thinking on the consumer side of the equation, you know, how you or I might purchase more stuff. But consider the data that they have on their drivers, right? If I am Uber, I understand a particular driver's driving speeds and efficiency. I understand his or her work ethic. And if I supply a debit card, I can quickly figure out what their spending is like. And that's a phenomenal piece of data versus, you know, a, a normal mortgage lender that might just have a monthly FICO score. And you combine that with the fact that Uber is in all kinds of markets in South America, where typically more than half of the population is unbanked. If they can push into the banking space, they could have enormous leverage to expand their services. One last question, Patrick. You know, we talked about profitability and where there might be some appetite for this drivers, potentially consumers. What about investors? Do these people really want Uber to take this kind of direction? How investors feel about this is actually something that's not totally clear to me. The only thing I would really point to is that since their IPO, their shares have fallen something like 30%. And that is the time period over which Uber has actually sort of shifted their wording from being the Amazon of transportation to being the operating system for everyday life, which is, is far more ambitious. So you have to suspect that if investors are really on board, the shares would be going up on these initiatives, and instead they seem to be going down. So it really is going to be that the onus is on Uber to maintain investor support and indeed to encourage investor support while they make these moves. Because, of course, every time they try this in a new market and every new service they provide, that's going to cost some money. And it's not clear exactly when the payout is going to be. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today, EU leaders are expected to meet to decide on the terms of a final Brexit extension for Britain. And we'll be watching for quarterly earnings from Google parent Alphabet, Spotify, and AT&T. 
This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.